Yes, God. We believe in your son. We're believing by faith in your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to do what you say. To believe your promises. Strengthen our faith. Thank you for counting us as righteous because of our faith in your son. Jesus, we thank you for your work. We thank you for your faithfulness and your obedience to your father. Obedience that led you to death on a cross. And for that, you are worthy of our praise. Worthy of our faith. Holy Spirit, continue to speak through your word this morning as Pastor Rick preaches. Convict us of sin. Move among us. And give us the power to do what your word says. God, again, we thank you for this faith. And we thank you for the righteousness that you have imputed to us. Jesus, it's in your precious name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue. Well, let's review just a little bit. If you're new again, well, to the study of Jonah, or if you just maybe forgot we're even in Jonah, let me review a little bit. You know, God gave the prophet Jonah. He was a good man. He walked with God. He knew God. He had seen God work. God gave Jonah a directive. He said, get up and go to Nineveh. (laughs) Jonah gets up and goes the opposite direction. He sins. He disobeys. Yet God's grace is relentless. It doesn't seem right at the time, but he sends a storm. And the sailors throw Jonah in. And God sends a big fish. And Jonah spends three days in its belly. And then God provides a beach and a second chance. Then came chapter three. (laughs) If you were with us last week, didn't chapter three shock you? I mean, Jonah's reaction to revival to what happened just surprises us. Nowhere in the history we find somebody preaching to an unbelievably evil town, a godless town. And the whole town repents. And so God relents. (laughs) Let's pray before we Look at chapter 4, which again will puzzle and hopefully encourage all at the same time. Father, you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry and you are filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways are perfect and your actions are just. I pray this morning... 
I pray as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 143. We remember the days of old and ponder all your great works, O God. Let us hear of your unfailing love each morning, for we are trusting you. We, at times, are losing all hope. We're paralyzed with fear. Rescue us, Lord. We run to you. We lift our hands in prayer, recognizing that we are so dependent on you. We thirst for you as a parched land thirsts for water. We ask today that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active. We need to hear from you, our Father, our good, good Father. Your words stabilize us and bring life as we submit to you, our King. We pray for our country. We pray for our country. God, would you do a work? We pray for the church, the worldwide church, all those who are part of your family, all those who gather together and meet with other believers to praise and to worship and to hear from you. We pray for our flock, the Crossmoit community, those who are in the house today and those who are online. Father, would you ignite us? Would you send us out to proclaim your grace, your love, and your mercy? We love you. And pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let's try to unwrap the text. We want to listen to our teacher, the Holy Spirit, and be able to respond to God's life giving word. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Um, if you want to follow behind me on the screen, you could do that. Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Get ready. If you're not familiar with Jonah, this is going to be weird. All right, the text. This change of plans, or of God's relenting, of him not judging Nineveh, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say, before I left home, That you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back or to relent from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? 
Now, our tendency from the very beginning of this study, especially as I've chatted with you, is to put Jonah in a box. Jonah is a kid's story. Jonah is a great miracle of God, but, but I don't know if there's going to be a lot of practical wisdom or strength that I'm going to get from an old guy that lived thousands of years ago. Can I ask you this morning, and okay, nice story, but I, as I dug into these four verses, I saw a lot of Jonah in me. And maybe so much in these four verses, and we're going to move fastly to the, fastly, we're going to move quickly, fastly, hmm. we're, we're going we're gonna to move on this one. And we would just like you to be able to hopefully follow along and be encouraged. Now, let me just remind you that the prophet is a godly prophet. He is a prophet that has been set aside in order to proclaim God's word to his people. Jonah knows about God and even knows how God works. He has had a front row seat to God's miracles. He's seen them. He's even experienced them. So to say that his behavior right here in the first four verses was odd, it's an understatement. Now let me try to paint this picture accurately for you. Jonah is greatly... Hebrew here literally says this. It was evil to Jonah, a great evil. And the it it's referring to is God relenting, his actions. He saw God's actions as wrong and evil. <laughs> this is way more than a little agitation or irritation. It is absolute fury. Jonah's anger is not against God for troubles or calamities in life, which we often do. He is furious at God, actually looking at the kindness and mercy of the Lord and calling it, boldly calling it, this is evil. (laughs) Jonah felt that Nineveh had pulled the wool over God's eyes. Jonah hated the evil, godless Assyrians and wanted them destroyed. He had tried to convince that to God already. He was an Israeli patriot. The Assyrians were enemies and they deserved fire and brimstone. They did not deserve grace. Jonah thought, and this is key, Even though the repentance had been genuine enough. You can read about that in chapter 3. Surely their violence or immorality was so deep-seated and so extreme that it merited some kind of punishment from God. And I stop right there. Because sometimes I think the same. God, God, why don't you, and you fill in the blank. 
So what does Jonah do in this text? Jonah complains. Or in some of your texts, he prays. And actually, I want to cut Jonah a little slack here. It does show a little bit of growth, okay? Remember in chapter 1, when he complains and doesn't like what God says, he runs. Well, at least this time, he prays. He talks to God. But there are a lot of eyes in these verses. Did, did you notice that? He starts to give reasons for his sin. Just in chapter 2, we saw his repentance. We saw him so enamored and grateful for God's grace. He was turning around. But things feel a little different now. If you go back to that text, look at starting at verse 2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I, I, I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. God, come on. You know how bad these guys are. (laughs) Let's just be a little frank. In fact, I reminded you about this a long time ago. And that's why I ran. I am justified in this now, God. Before I was a little, yeah, I, I, I saw it as wrong. But God, you're not seeing something. In fact, if I could say boldly, God, you're dense. God, you're dense. It is clear that Jonah knows about God. He just doesn't understand grace. In fact, so many today, even in the church, know about God. But they don't know about grace. Let me remind you. Every good Hebrew knew about God, mostly because of this text. It's found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It's one that was drilled in all Hebrew children. If they were at some kind of a catechism or some kind of a quiz show, or if they got on Wheel of Fortune, whatever... And they were asked, what is the definition of God? They would repeat this right away. It happens where God is talking to Moses. Chapter 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. And basically he's saying, I am, or this is Yahweh, the Lord. I am speaking to you, Moses. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I, God says, forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but... I do not excuse the guilty. God told those Hebrews, Jonah preached about this God, but he says, hey, this is me. I am 
merciful and compassionate, excuse me, to the Ninevites. And actually to you, Jonah. I am slow to anger, Jonah, to you and to the evil Assyrians. I am filled with love. Again, if you've been part of our fellowship, you hear me talk about God's love or his hesed. It's the Hebrew word for love that that describes who God is. This unbelievable loyalty. And he says, I love the Ninevites. And I love you, Jonah. It's really cool. Isaiah talks about this love in Isaiah 63, 7. Isaiah says this, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love, his hesed. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and his hesed. Uh, By the way, if you're able to come back at 6 o'clock tonight, well, we won't have soup, but we will have praise. And this is going to be one of the readings where we as a congregation are able to focus on God and be able to say, thank you, thank you for your love. Because again, I, I don't deserve this. And then God said this, hey, Jonah, let me remind you, I'm eager to relent to the Ninevites. And Jonah, Jonah, wake up. You, you, God is that to us today. God is merciful and compassionate. God is slow to anger. God is eager to show us his hesed love and eager to relent. You see, God responds in the opposite way that Jonah responds. Jonah gets angry. And God turns his anger away. I think what you'll find is that those who walk with God grow in their reflection of God to others. So if God behaves a certain way, or God has a certain love for a certain people, or God loves to forgive, and we don't behave that way as believers, and we don't forgive like God forgives, it's probably a red flag. Because of our, if our response to others is the opposite of God, there needs to be some changes. You know, God's heart is clearly seen in Luke 15. So many of you remember this story where Jesus kind of shoots out three parables, three stories. And he starts off with a lost sheep. And he just said, hey, you know what? There was a shepherd and and one sheep was lost. And what happened? He just searched everywhere for the sheep. When he found the sheep, he came back, called his neighbors together. They had a giant party because the sheep was lost. (laughs) But he found the sheep. Then another quick little story about a coin where a woman loses a coin in her house. 
And she searches all over for this coin. She finally finds the coin. And this is a, a celebration time. It's a little weird, but, but it's celebration time. She calls her neighbors and her friends again. You can read that. And they throw a party. I, my one coin that was lost is now found. And then he ends with a story about two sons. He says this. There's one son. Oh, he did not live very godly. Oh, he just misused the father's money. He just abused everything. His lifestyle is not something you want to promote. But finally, when he hit the skit, he realized, you know what, I can go home to my father's house. At least I can be a servant. I, I can at least get some food. I don't have to eat with the pigs. So as you know, the story, he comes back. And his father's looking. And his father can't believe his eyes. This son who was lost. <laughs> He's back. And get him new clothes. Put a ring on. Let's kill the fat. Let, you know what? Party. Let's party. He was lost. And he's come back home. Now, by the way, he didn't deserve any of that. But the truth is, Jonah shows up in this story as the older prodigal. All of a sudden, the older brother who did everything right checked all the right boxes, finds out his brother, who basically was a wild man, he just screwed up everything. He, he's back home, and dad wants to celebrate. Oh, he got so upset. Went into his father. What are you doing? His dad goes, isn't it great? You're younger. No, 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 it's not. Excuse me. What are you doing? You're so wrong. I'm mad at you. You never gave me any of this treatment. Oh, but he did. He did. You see, Jonah, God says, do you understand my grace? In fact, I'd like to ask you a question. Jonah, have you been grasped by grace? Jonah, you, you just recited verses about me, the Psalms when you were in the belly. And I gave you grace, but now you're angry at me when I grace someone else. You, you understand my actions, my character. You quoted Exodus 34. You just experienced my grace. You loved it when I was gracious to you. A man who was steeped in sin, wallowing in rebellion. But you received mercy. And you were so grateful. But you, you, Jonah, think you deserve grace. And the Ninevites don't. You see, deserving grace perhaps is the greatest oxymoron there is. We, we all, 
because of our sin, deserve judgment, not grace. You know that God doesn't give grace because of what we do or don't do. And some of us who've been in the church for a while forget about that. I think what he asked Jonah is this, do you really think anyone, anyone, is beyond the circle of redemption? You see, my actions toward the Ninevites should teach you about my grace. You know, there's a Scottish theologian. Honestly, I, I don't even remember who it was. But there was a quote that I do remember. And this is what he said. Divine grace towards sinners can't be understood. It does not have reason. It only reflects who God is. You see, we do struggle at times after we follow God for a little bit because we think (laughs) we're better than we are. Jonah did. But God gives grace. Chapter 9, you struggle with that text. It blows you away. Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul. He's reflecting God. And he says, God says, I loved Jacob, but I reject, or in some of your verses, hate Esau. Are we saying then that God is unfair? Paul writes, of course not. For God also said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can never choose it, nor work for it. Most of us would say, okay, God, it's okay for you to love Jacob. But you know what? It's only fair. You got to love Esau too. So we look at this, you know. I think God was saying something so clear to Jonah. He said this, I did not grace you. I did not grace Israel. I did not extend my grace to those folks because it was fair. I chose Israel. And you, because, let me read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Why was Israel chosen? Why did Israel... This is God. Moses is sharing this. He says, you... That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the... He is faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all the... ...today. Because God felt like... It's, it's hard. 
So grace, anytime God extends it, is a gift given by the sovereign God. It is unearned. He gives it because. God is filled with mystery and his ways often puzzle us. I will say that over and over again. People sometimes think like I have a closer connection with God because of my job. And I just say, time out. Excuse me. Uh, This is what God says. I'm not saying this. All right? And there are times I just end a sentence with, God is, wow, he's mysterious. And there's something about a great God and an awesome God that realistically I can't follow at times and I don't understand at times. I don't. It would be kind of sad if I did understand all of his ways. It would. So, what happens? Jonah is ticked at God. And let me put it this way. He throws a tantrum. He basically just says, again, try try to think of a three or four or five-year-old, you know, in your household. Just kill me. Just kill me. I don't like your relenting, your grace. I think your behavior, God, at least in my opinion, is evil. So take my life. I just want to make a statement right here. I just want to end it. Basically, Jonah's saying it's not fair. I really disagree with you. And in some ways, Jonah is right. Because fair isn't extending grace to everyone. Fair is bringing judgment to everyone. Now saying when you're talking to God, I disagree is one thing. Because I think that's an honest statement. God, I don't know what you're doing in this world. I don't know how you're working in this country. I don't know why and you keep... I think those are legitimate questions. But allowing those feelings to dictate your thoughts or actions is quite another thing. Jonah did not speak truth to himself and allowed his selfish behavior to rule him. I'm going to use a term that I think every one of you know of. I think Jonah pouted right here. And we all know what pouting is because number one we're guilty of it but number two we see it all the time right when somebody doesn't get his or her way they pout they pout differently but pouting shouts selfishness and is a wonderful short-term motivator especially for a kid to a parent at least for a little bit pouting at a parent Or at a boss's directive is one thing. Because let's face it, bosses and parents, they're not all knowing. They're going to hopefully make the best choice. But truthfully, we know that God is all knowing. So pouting, when God gives us something to do, doesn't make sense. It is exceptionally sad when our pouting is birthed by a disagreement with God. Now let me say this. Pouting gets more sophisticated 
and more manipulative as we age. We would call Jonah's behavior childish. But selfish adults, those who don't get your own way, okay, pout, pout. They act like children. Now, we, as adults, don't go sit outside of Nineveh and cry to God. We pout, hoping God notices our disapproval of how he runs the world, the church, well, our lives. After all, God doesn't get it. He doesn't know the circumstances. He doesn't know how you've been hurt. He doesn't understand, right? Folks who pout often withdraw. They stop reading. They stop forgiving. They stop give, uh, praying. Even attending church or service. They stop giving. Basically, they're telling God, you know what? I'm going to show you God. You need me. You need me. As selfishness escalates, so does pouting. And we see it here with Jonah saying, kill me. Kill me. There's nothing left to live for. Now, I think Jonah probably thought this time, perhaps God will now see how foolish his behavior is. If he knows, you know, I'm, I'm ready to die if he doesn't change his mind. <laughs> are, are you kidding me, Jonah? Are, are you? There is a better way, and we will see that in a moment. Now, once Jonah finished his tantrum, God asked Jonah, and here's the key in this text, is it right for you to be angry about this? Basically, God says, you can't be angry about this. It's not your right to be angry about my relenting, God says. Why hasn't grace, my grace, my unbelievable, amazing grace, changed the way you act and think? You are not responding, Jonah, like one who has been grasped by grace. I've used that term a couple times now in this message. It's a term that I learned from... Another Scottish pastor, Alistair Begg. And I like the term because it places all the initiative on God. Now I realize that there are times, especially when you work with children, you encourage them to ask Jesus in your heart. Or maybe you'll have someone older say, hey, would you like to come to faith right now? And I think those are all good terms. They're not always biblical. We're trying to help people understand they need to repent and put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. But I think a better term is, have you been grasped by faith, excuse me, by grace? It, it leaves all the initiative on God. The Pharisees were the first century Jonas. 
They were folks who didn't respond to others like people who had been grasped by grace. You see, the Pharisees, they checked all the boxes. They felt entitled because they were really religious and they did all the right things. So they started getting a little proud. They looked down on sinners, publicans, prostitutes, and in Jonah's case, the evil Assyrians who lived in Nineveh. And the Pharisees, they forgot they were once lost. They were wretched. And that is only by God's grace that they were not consumed. They felt superior because God's grace had not grabbed them. They'd forgotten about it. Now, there are times we don't respond to others like one's grasp. By God's grace. We sometimes, the church, those who have been part of the church, those who have have been redeemed, we think we deserve grace. That we are a privileged lot. We at times feel entitled because we go to church and we give and we serve. In fact, some of us will say, I don't live anything like my pagan neighbors. We sit on our high horses sometimes and look smugly down at those who embrace a godless lifestyle, those who actually play golf on Sunday mornings. Do you you believe it? Oh. Yet I ask, Why would we expect a people to reflect God's ways or priorities if they don't know God? People without God will think differently about the value of life. But instead of loving them, we look down on them from our perches and condemn people or folks who are without God and without hope. We want the Almighty to rain down fire and brimstone to judge their rebellion like he should and ought. And maybe even feel that way about our country at times. But this reminds me of Jonah, the attitude. And actually, it was so convicting for me. It reminds me of me. Of me. If if God gave me what I deserved. Right now you would see shoes on the platform and smoke. The godly prophet probably even put Jonah in a missionary kind of mentality. This guy knew better. But his self-focus blinded him. And God was just Saying this in that one sentence, why hasn't my grace, my forgiveness softened you? Why has it made you harder? Why don't you see lost people like I do? You know, it's a great story 
in Matthew 18 when the apostle Peter, uh, again, was hanging out with Jesus and he asked Jesus a question. He just said this, hey, Jesus, how many times do I forgive someone? Is seven times enough? And Jesus actually doesn't even answer him there. He goes, let me tell you a story. And he said, I want you to know the kingdom of heaven is really different than here on the earth. On the earth, you keep track of how many times you forgive somebody. And when you hit it, boom, don't do it anymore. You know, you go, I've had it with you. I'm done. And God said this, in my kingdom, let me tell you how it is. There's a king. And he was calling in people that, well, owed him money. And there was one guy that owed him millions of dollars. He called him in. And that gentleman bowed down and, and groveled in the dirt and said, would you forgive my debt? I'll never be able to repay millions of dollars. And the king said, yeah. But the scriptures tell us he goes out after being forgiven, finds some guy that owes him a couple thousand dollars, shakes him up and says, hey, I want my money. Same thing happens, please, I, I don't have it. <laughs> no, I'm not waiting I'm tossing you in prison. Well, some folks found out about it and told the king. And you'll see this in Matthew 18. He calls this person an evil person. What are you doing? I, the king, just forgave you of a debt way more than what this guy owed. And what do you do? Go out and shake them up. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to do with you. Whoa. This is a great question. Sometimes we, as people of God, forget how much grace has extended us. We forget and we're not grabbed or grasped by grace anymore. And we become proud. And I think that's where Jonah was. Now we all disagree with God and question God at times. I I believe that. But Jonah was a poor example on how to live abundantly when you disagree with God. Let me share with you someone, and you can read this book when you get home. It came from the prophet Habakkuk. There's only three chapters in it, but Habakkuk had a completely different approach and felt almost the same way that Jonah did. Let me just quickly go over this because our time is fleeting here. But Habakkuk lived about 150 years after Jonah. And Israel was not obeying, and God met with Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk had a question. And he said this, Hey God, when are you going to judge all the evil around me? Israel's not listening to you. They're not obeying you. God, when are you going to judge them? God answers, Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to raise up the evil Babylonians. And they're going to come in and wipe them out. Habakkuk goes this. He goes, "Uh, uh, excuse me. Not exactly, but pretty close. Uh, uh, God, 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 God. Uh, Respectfully, God. You are going to use the Babylonians? 
Like, God, have you seen them? You are a holy God. You don't wicked evil. That's all they do. God answers and says, let everybody know, Habakkuk, that great sorrow comes to all who disobey. In other words, I'm going to judge them someday too. But right now, I'm going to focus on Israel, okay? He goes, I am in my temple. I want you to remember Habakkuk. I'm king. I know what to do, when to do it. And then Habakkuk responds so very differently than Jonah in Habakkuk chapter 3. He says this. He goes, God, I've heard all about you and your power. Please help us as you've done in the past. In your anger, though, remember your grace. Just reminding him. And then he said this. I shook and quivered in fear when you told me about the Babylonians because I know it's going to happen. And then in Habakkuk chapter 3, look at verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. It'll be up on the screen there. Habakkuk says this. At the very end, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike. Okay, God, you said it's going to happen. I'm going to wait for it to happen. But I want you to know, God, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet, 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 an underline, highlight, look at this part, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Habakkuk literally says this. I will be joyful in the God who graciously saves me. I'm going to trust you. And then he goes, I'm going to count on your rule to prevail. You told me that you judge all sin. I'm, I'm going to trust you. I am going to trust you. You see, we've been talking about sin and grace. Being grasped by grace flat out changes how we think and we act. And if it doesn't, our selfishness has blinded us. We have been chosen by God's grace, given a complete salvation that should rock our world. That is why people who are grasped by grace evangelize. Not because we're supposed to. No. Because you can't believe God loved you like he did, and forgave you like he did, and you want others to experience God's grace. This is why those who are grasped by grace disciple. Oh, not because we're supposed to, but we meet with others, pouring into them so they understand about God's grace and how it changes the way that you live and how you can trust this God. That is why people who are grasped by grace serve. You just want others to hear about your amazing God. 
And that's why those who are grasped by grace love. Because you want to be able to extend to others what God has done for you. That is why people who are grasped by grace make a kingdom impact. In just a few moments, but let me wrap this up. Let me share with you some things that that you can take away. You know, God graciously chose not to abandon Jonah. I mean, really. He heard Jonah. He repented. He's out on the beach. I I mean, honestly, if you or I had, like, power like God and our perspective, okay, we probably, you know what? He he, uh, endured the, the belly of the fish. He's sitting there complaining, I'm sending a lion. Boom, you're done. But he didn't. He didn't. You're going to again be shocked on what God did in the last part of chapter 4, which we're going to hit next week. But Jonah still needed to learn some things about his gracious God. He had to know that knowing about God or theology doesn't mean you're going to know God. He needed to be grasped by grace. He needed to grasp the value of a soul. He needed to grow up, to speak truth to himself, and to walk by faith and not by feeling. These are lessons we all need to learn. And may God ignite and encourage you to focus on how much he loves you and how he has graced you because realistically it changes it all. Next week we close our study in Jonah and we find out how this whole thing ends. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your God, would that just not be a word? We pray that it's not just a, well, a Christian term. We pray, dear God, that we would see all that you've done for us just because, not because of what we've done or not done. And would we be And proclaim who you are, a God who loves, a God who graces, a God who is slow to anger, a God is filled with mercy and love. We love you, Lord, in your name.